For our call to worship this morning inside your bulletin, it comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, when there was the question asked of of God, do you know what's going on in my life and do you care what's happening to me? They are reminded of who God is and all that he does. And then we end with the question that's asked in Exodus chapter 15, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship? And why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? like you among the gods, O Lord. Well, now let us take our Trinity hymn books and sing praises to our God, taking the Trinity hymn book and turning to number 81, the hymn of the Reformation, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Number 81 in the Trinity hymn book.
Let's join together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the privilege of serving you, the eternal King. We thank you, Father, for making us a part of your family through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness of our sins, and we pray, Father, that you would give us the strength to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you. Father, we do thank you that we can gather together today as a church. We pray, Lord, that all that we would do would be pleasing and honoring to you. We ask, Father, that as we open your word, as we read it, as we hear it preached, as we sing songs to you, that your name may be honored and glorified. We pray that you'd be with those who can't be with us and draw near to them. Pray, Father, that they might also feel your presence today and that you would uplift them and encourage them. Pray, Father, that you would be with our nation. Pray, Lord, uh, that you would call us back to you and that, Father, we might see a revival in our land. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, taking your Trinity hymn books, turning to hymn 488, 488, lead on, O King Eternal, the day of March has come, 488.
For our consecutive scripture reading this morning, we find ourselves in Matthew 14. Please turn there. Matthew 14. We can kind of divide this chapter into four sections. Uh, We will see the historical events uh, surrounding the death of John the Baptist. And then after those events, uh, we will see... Uh, three miracles performed by Christ, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, and then the healing of many with just the touch of his garment. So chapter 14 of Matthew. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore, those powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and please Herod. Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me, the, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude And he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to be sent away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up into heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves for the disciples, to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when the evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked down on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. And he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had gotten into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of the Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding regions, brought to him all who were sick, and begging him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Again, this morning as we seek our God together in prayer, we especially want to remember the Trinity Baptist Church in Hong Kong with Pastor Chong. And then also give thanks to God for answers to prayer, as Pastor Bala wrote, and thank us for praying for them and the advanced pastors training that they were doing online with Tamil-speaking pastors, so we can give thanks to God for hearing our cries on their behalf. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, again we come before you as a thankful people. We are thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that we have in him. We thank you because of his finished work on the cross. We can be declared a righteous people, having his righteousness given to us by faith. And Father, we pray that we would be a people who would pursue righteousness and holiness in our lives, that we would take every step to avoid that sin which would entangle us and lay us aside, but that, Father, we would be quick to confess and forsake our sins that we might know of your mercy. We thank you for your watch care over us throughout this week. And pray that now as we gather together to worship you, that you'll come and and minister unto us. We, We pray that the Spirit of God would be at work in our midst and that the Word of God would be that sharp sword, that that lamp that our feet need to guide us as we live in this world. Father, we pray that you would give us a boldness to proclaim Christ to those around us. We are told that in this world we would have tribulation But we can be of good cheer, for you have overcome the world. And Father, we pray that you might use us for the good of your kingdom, to see others added to the kingdom by faith and repentance. We pray that that would be done here as your word goes forth, as well as around the world when we enter into partnerships with brethren in various countries. And thank you for this opportunity that we have to pray for the advancement of your kingdom in these places. We pray especially this morning that you would be with the church there in Hong Kong. 
And we ask that you would draw near to them as they, are, they, they still cannot meet together publicly. But Father, we pray that soon those restrictions would be removed, that they might once again come together face to face to worship you. We pray that you would be with Pastor Chung as he ministers the word of God to them even online. And may you use him for your glory and for your honor. We pray, Father, that you would even add to their number during these days. We pray that uh, we might rejoice with them in hearing of various ones who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ there in that land. And then we know that Pastor Chong has influence upon other pastors in that area. And we just pray that you'll continue to use him to help these ministers to be faithful preachers of the word of God, declaring the whole counsel of God. Father, we thank you as well for answers to prayer with regard to the advanced pastoral training sessions that went on with Pastor Bala to Tamil-speaking people and pastors. And Father, we're thankful that there was no technical difficulties in the midst of doing this through the Internet. And we pray that it would be a blessed means that you will use to help these pastors again to be faithful shepherds to your people, to be expositors of your word, to preach the whole counsel of God for the benefit of those that gather together in those places. Father, we would ask that again you would draw near to us this morning as your word goes forth. We are dependent upon the work of you, of your spirit in our midst to make the word of God effective. So help us, we pray, to examine these things, to see that they be so. And then not to just be hearers, but doers of that word as well. And we'll give you the glory as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take your hymns of grace. The hymns of grace and turn to number 26. 26 in the hymns of grace. I sing the almighty power of God. 26 in the hymns of grace.
Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. While you're turning there, just let me make mention. I didn't. It's in your bulletin, but just to let you know that, God willing, next Sunday we'll have the baptism of Julie Bachmeyer and her profession of faith in Christ. So we look forward to that. And then also next Sunday afternoon we will gather around the Lord's table. So keep that in mind as well. well Deuteronomy chapter 9. The children of Israel are about to embark into the promised land. It has been a long time in coming. But before entering, they are given instructions from Moses, who is the mouthpiece of God. They have been given the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, that were to be the standard by which they were to live in this new land. And the first of those commandments was this, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You, you shall have no other gods before me. What exactly does that look like? In answering that question, Moses begins there in chapter 6 and verse 4 with these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Yahweh is our God and He is the one God. So, how is that worked out in our lives? Well, Moses explains. That means you're to love the one true God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That means you're to teach these things to your children, both by your words and by your actions. You're to teach them about this one true God. They were to fear and worship the one true God. They were to obey the commandments, the testimonies, and the statutes of the one true God. They were, they were not to enter into any relationships with those who already possess the land, they might be a means that would turn them away from worshiping the one true God. They were to destroy the altars and the sacred pillars made to false gods, for they were a chosen possession of the one true God. They were to remember how good this one true God has been to them. He has redeemed them. He has provided for them water out of rocks, manna from heaven. He, he has cared for them. He's brought them through the wilderness. You're not to place another God before 
the face of the living one true God. You're, you're to know this God. You're, you're to love this God. You're to follow this God. You're, you're to serve this God. This one true God is worthy of, of passion and loyalty and devotion. Or is He? Is this one true God truly worthy of our devotion and loyalty? As you're about ready to pass into this new land, remember who your God is. And and remember who you are. And in these first six verses... Of Deuteronomy 9, we we have this great contrast between the Lord their God and a people who are described as stubborn there in verse 6. And so in these first six verses... We, we have God set before these people. The very character of God they are reminded of as they're about ready to embark upon this new land and face these giants and face the challenges that lie before them. Remember who your God is. Then He will start in verse 7 and remind them of who they are and their stubbornness and their rebellion. So so this morning we will focus upon those first six verses. Follow as I read them in your hearing. Deuteronomy 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you are crossing over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Great cities fortified to heaven a people great and tall, the sons of the Amakin, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Ankin? Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly, just as the Lord has spoken to you. Do not say in your heart, when the Lord has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me into into possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is disposing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for your uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. 
And we'll conclude our reading there. So this morning, in this passage, I want you to consider with me the character of God as it's displayed for us in these verses. And my friends, whenever we consider the character of God, we ought to consider the character of God in three ways. We ought to consider it with hunger. We ought to consider it with hunger. We want to know more about God. Secondly, we ought to consider it with humility. We, we want to see something of the, the greatness and the glory of our God. And then we ought to consider it with faith. We ought to believe that He is. Anytime you study the, the character or attributes of God, you ought to study it with a, with a hunger, with humility, and, and with faith. And so now, let us open up this passage of Scripture and notice at least three of the characteristics of God displayed for us in the passage. The first thing I would have you note with me is that He is the God of mighty power. He is the God of mighty power. In the first two verses, God assures them that they're about to enter into this land, a land they were promised. And from the human perspective, it looks like an impossibility. How in the world can this take place? How can these nomads that have been wandering around in a wilderness for 40 years go up against an army with their spears and their arrows and bows and fortify? How are we going to take this land? With God, all things are possible. So let's say something about the event that's about to take place. The event. Details are given to us, and, and perhaps there are two important factors concerning this event that are set before us in the passage of Scripture. First of all, this is not an easy event. You might recall back in chapter 7, they are told about seven major nations they will be facing. And we're even told here that these nations, look, that they're greater and mightier than you. These were great fortified cities. Cities with walls that surround them. High walls that surround them. How were the children of Israel ever going to take down these things? The people in the land were considered to be giants. Remember when the spies came back after spying out this land there in Numbers 13, that was their report. Their report was, oh, it is a wonderful piece of property. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's all true. It's a great, great place. But the people that live there are giants. They're huge. 
And you know the saying, there, there was a song going around. I don't know if it was on the top ten list or not. But it went something like this. Who can stand against the son of Achan? Who, who can stand against these giants? That, that was the saying. It was commonly known. Who can take on these people? What captured their eyes was the strength and the might of the nations. And Israel felt very keenly their their weakness and how untrained they were for such a battle. Raymond Brown says in his commentary, how could this crowd of untrained desert nomads possibly gain possession of the land uh, ahead. How can this group of people ever take on such warriors? That's the question. It's not going to be an easy pursuit. But the second factor we see about this event is this. It is a sure occurrence. This will happen. Notice what he says there in verse 1. Not, we're hoping you cross Jordan today. It is, you are crossing over Jordan today. Moses tells them later on, you will drive them out and destroy them quickly. This is a sure occurrence. This isn't, we're planning for this to happen, and we hope this is happening. This will take... The children of Israel have been reminded over and over that this is... A sure occurrence. Look over just in chapter 7 again. We have that, that same certainty mentioned. Verse seven, chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it. When it happens, it's going to happen. And when it happens, and clear away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hiphites, Jebusites, seven nations. Oh, they're greater and stronger than you, but you're going into that land. Look at uh, verse 7. The Lord, chapter 7, verse 7, The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other. You, you were fewer in number. That's not what I wanted. But uh, they're reminded that, that God has set His love upon them and He's going to bring them into this land. It's the same note that sounded in chapter 6 and verse 10. You're going to take this land. The day is coming when you will live in these cities. You're going to live in the cities that you did not build you're going to enjoy full houses that you did not fill. Your thirst is going to be quenched with water from wells that you did not dig. 
You're going to be satisfied with olives and, and with vineyards that you did not plant. This is going to be yours. And how is that possible? How is that possible? What's the explanation? Here's the event. You're, you're going to go into the city. You're going to take this land. But, but how is that possible? Well, it's possible because we read here, Know therefore today that it is the Lord your God who will bring this to pass. It is the Lord your God who's crossing over before you. You see, the true power of this weak, untrained army was not going to be found in their weapons. It's not going to be found in their strength. But the real power is from a divine resource. It comes from God. God is the one who will give them this victory. And we hear something of that there in verse 3, where God is set before them in several ways. He's set before them, and, and again, I owe Raymond Brown this thought, but God is set before them as the advanced guard. I will go before you. He is set before them as the conquering warrior. He is a devouring fire. He is set before them as a dependable Lord. He will destroy them as the Lord has promised you. He is the righteous judge. It is on account of the wickedness of these nations the Lord is going to drive them out before you. You're not going to fight in your own strength and win this war. But will only come by the power of Almighty God, the one who's the advance guard, the conquering warrior, the dependable Lord, and the righteous judge. The omnipotence of God, the power of God. God can do anything and everything He wills to do merely by willing it so that nothing can restrain Him and nothing is too hard for Him. What looks to be impossible for man is possible with God. Job chapter 42 and verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be restrained. Abraham is asked this question, is, is anything too hard for Jehovah? Is anything too hard for God? God is a powerful God. And no one can stop Him. No one can outdo Him. He is a powerful God. And the children of Israel, as they're about to embark upon this new land, need to keep in mind, it's not by our might, it's not by our strength, it is not through our wisdom, 
but it is through the power of Almighty God's that we can do all things. If God is for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Left to myself, I, I told our young people this morning, we, we were discussing the area of progressive sanctification, of growing in our likeness to Christ, and, and we were speaking about the spiritual battle that we're all engaged in, the battle against the flesh, the, the battle against the world, the battle against our great enemy, Satan, and, and how if we go to fight this battle... On our own, I, I told them this morning, if, if I'm fighting this battle on my own, I'm guaranteed to lose. To lose. These are, these are powerful enemies. Stronger and mightier than I am. But thank God I, I don't fight the battle alone. I, I have a helper, the, the Spirit of God. And in God, all things are possible. And so I'm not called upon to fight this battle on my own and in my own strength. Some men may glory in their strength, but I will glory in the name of the Lord my God. It is by His power and by His might and by His strength that I can face those that are bigger, mightier, and stronger than I and still progress and move on. God is a powerful, mighty, powerful God. And as such, it ought to cause us to fear Him, to reverence Him. It ought to cause us to depend upon Him, to live a holy life, and to serve Him as we ought. Sometimes we seek to do this alone, and we wonder why we fail and fall upon our faces. But it's only in His strength that we're able to make the progress that we make. And so here we see, first of all, that God reminds them of His mighty power as they face this great enemy. His mighty power. Secondly, God reminds them that He is the God of amazing grace. Amazing grace. An inquiry perhaps is made is why is God so good to do this for these people? He's giving them a land. Why is He giving them that land? And the answer is only because of His grace and goodness. Because of His grace and goodness. Notice as you read down through this passage, there's, there's a wrong conclusion and then there's a correct conclusion. A wrong conclusion and a correct conclusion. First of all, the wrong conclusion. You see, God knows the hearts of these people. They're, they're going to go in against an army that is mightier and greater than they are. They're going to go in and, and fight against people with fortified walls and cities. And, and they're going to be victorious. They're, they're going to take the land. And they're going to come to this conclusion... Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. 
I must have, I must have done something good because look at what God has given to me. I must have done something right in my life because look at what God's given to me. Once they've gone into the land and they've conquered the nations, they would soon be saying, it's in the power of my hands that these things have come to pass. Remember, he's already warned them about that in chapter 8 and verse 17. Look, look, at, look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. It's because of something good that, that I've taken part of that God has given me these things. It's interesting that they would make that, that sort of confession that it's because of my righteousness that I now have this land. And I find that interesting when you consider what it takes for them to take the land. Remember, when they get ready to cross the Jordan... The water has to be cut off. The, the water that was flowing down from above would, would stand in one heap and they would cross over the Jordan. How, how do you take credit for that? I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried. Do you ever stand in the middle of a stream and say, okay, back off and have the water stop? Really, you think you, you got something to do with that? How does it happen that, that you simply march around the walls of Jericho for seven days? And on the seventh day, you're marching around the walls seven times. And you're blowing trumpets. And you're shouting. And the walls collapse. How do you take credit for that? I mean, what, I mean I, I'm trying to wonder what kind of military strategist came up with this plan. All right, here's what we're going to do, guys. I know you've got weapons, and, and I know these walls are thick, but we're just going to march around these walls. Can you imagine the other generals? We're going to do what? We're just going to march around. Uh, how often? We're going to do it for seven, seven days. Uh, what? Uh, on the seventh day, according to my military strategy, I think it would be good on the seventh day. We're going to do it seven times. And then what? Well, we're going to be victorious. What? Oh, wait, wait, I forgot to mention. We're going to blow trumpets. We're going to do, blow trumpets. I mean, I'm trying to figure out the other generals standing around who might see sitting there saying, Oh, like, are we going to blow against the wall and hopefully it fall down? Or when we're marching around, are we going to stomp really loud, hoping the walls might teeter? Or how's this? No, you're just going to march around, shouting, blowing a trumpet, and then the walls will collapse. How do you take credit for that? Because of something good I did, this is going to happen. This is, this is God's do. This is by God's grace. There's even a point in the midst of taking the land where the sun stands still. The, the rotation stops. <laughs> and you think you might take credit for that? 
I mean, go out, we could all go outside right now and say, okay, stop the rotation. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's only by God's goodness and by God's grace that these things happen. But our Lord knows their hearts well enough that He believes that, that, that sooner or later they're going to say, look what we've done. It's because of who we are that good things now are coming our way. And soon they're receiving the glory and the praise. I mean, you can imagine the, the man sitting in his house and gathering his grandkids around and saying, hey, see that, see that horn hanging on the wall? Let me tell you about that. I blew that horn and those walls fell down. Oh, I must have been something. Can you imagine? I did that. Or my goodness caused that. And you forget the favor of God. You so much do not deserve. It is only by His grace. And so the correct conclusion is, you know what? This is the Lord's doing. This is His doing. This has to be His doing. Because even the most devoted, obedient believer, listen to me, even the most devoted, obedient believer still has enough sin that if God gave him what he deserved, he would never receive the favor of God. It's only by God's grace. Look over. You're from, most of you are familiar with Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> Verse 7. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field... Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you may eat and drink. Does he not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded? Does he? So you too, when you have done all thing, all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Even if you could, and even if you achieved doing everything you're supposed to do, you're still unworthy slaves. God makes it clear that their victory over these nations was not because of their righteousness. He repeats that. He says that. It is not for your righteousness, verse 5, or for the uprightness of your heart that you're going to possess their land. It is because of their wickedness and my favor towards you that I will dispose of them. It is not, verse 4, because of the right, you've, my, it is because of 
my righteousness, the Lord has brought me, or that's what they would say, it's because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is disposing them before you. It is not because you deserve this. It is by my grace. But you may say to me, well, wait a minute. Doesn't it say there at the end of verse 3, so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly, just as the Lord has spoken to you? They are engaged in this activity. They are driving them out. Yeah, they are. But only by God's grace. Only by God's grace. One, one, one is illustrated this way. If, if perhaps a son or a daughter one time decided they want to play baseball. And so anytime you go to teach a child how to play baseball, you know, you, you tell them to put a bat in their hand and then swing at the ball. And so you ever, you, many, many of us as parents have gone through, you know, you give them a get a bat, and he, he stands there holding it like this. And you say, no, that's not how you, I'm going to throw the bat, and you hit it. So you throw the ball up to him, and they go, mm. no, 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 that's not, that's not how you do it. And so what do you do? You come up behind them, and, and you put your arms around them, and, and you show them how to hold, and you're sort of holding that bat, and, and they're holding that bat, and, and, and now, okay, we're going to pitch the ball to us, and when the ball comes, we're going to swing and hit it. And so the ball's coming in, and Dad's got his arm around his son, and the ball's coming in, and, and they swing, and they hit the ball. What, what's the child immediately do? Look what I did! Look at where that ball went! He doesn't turn around and say, Wow, Dad, if it wasn't for you, I would have never hit that ball. And he doesn't run down to first base and say, Thank you, Dad! Thank you so much! Man, I would have never hit that. No, he gets down to first base, and especially that first time he hits first. I've got a granddaughter who just started playing softball yesterday. And, and my son, you know, what a great time we live in. I'm watching live in Michigan a softball game in Texas through my son's phone. And my granddaughter hits that ball, and she's running down. And they're so, they get to the, and you know, there's still a game going on, but they're just celebrating. You know how it goes. And that, and that. That child, it's that ball because dad's there and he's getting down to first base. Yes, yes, look, look what I did. And, and, and that's what's going. That's a possibility here. You're going to go in this land. They're greater and mightier than you are. You're, you're to go in and, and you're to drive them out. You're to destroy them. And they go in to take this land. And so often when they're taking the land, they don't stop and say, thank you, Father. It's only by, how does, how does the likes of us ever defeat an army? It's only by your grace. It's by your favor. But they begin to celebrate. Look what we did. Man, these guys were bigger and stronger than we are. And we took them down. Instead of recognizing the grace and the favor of God. And, and we do the same thing so often. We, we make a little progress in dealing with some of our sin. When, 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 when we used to lose our temper over something, by God's grace, we're, we're, we're able to re, reframe from anger. And, and, and we go off and we're thankful. Oh, look, look at that. 
Look what I did. I, I, usually, I used to get angry. But, but now, look at what I did. Instead of saying, thank you, God, for your grace to help me to conquer this. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I used to complain and murmur about things going on in my life. But, but God, had, God, He's given me a spirit of contentment. But sometimes in the midst of that contentment, we can say, I did well. I'm happy even in the midst of these things. There's a look at what I've instead of saying, "Thank you, Father, thank you for that grace, thank you for that help." I needed it. You should. The grace of God should cause us to be a thankful people. Listen, when you go into that land and you destroy that land and you conquer that land, recognize this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes to God. To God be the glory. Great things He hath done. He is a God that is mighty in power. He is a God who's amazing in grace. And then one final thing. He's the God of steadfast faithfulness. He's a God of steadfast faithfulness. This action is part of God's fulfillment of an ancient promise made to their forefathers. He's promised He would give them a land. This was a long time in coming. It wasn't a promise made and, and, and received immediately. Ye- excuse me, years have passed, but now God is going to fulfill His promise. He's faithful to His Word. He's faithful to His Word. Again, we're reminded of this when we come to a passage such as chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. We've already gone over it, starting in there in verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, the One who keeps His covenant, His loving kindness to thousands, generations, with whom... Those who loved Him and keep His commandments that repays those who hate Him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with Him who hates Him. He will repay Him to His face. Therefore, keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you to do today to do them. He will keep His promise. He is a faithful God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, Faithful is He that calls you who will also do it. He's a faithful God. He keeps His promise. I promised you a new land. I gave that promise to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is keeping my word. This is fulfilling my promise. I will be faithful in doing what I say. And dear people, when we recognize that we have a faithful God, it will keep us, it will keep us from worry. God is true to His Word. He will do what He says. Now think about that. He says that He's going to prepare a place for us that where He is, we may be also. A long time has passed from when He first said that. 
A long time has passed when He made that promise. Is He going to be faithful to that Word? Do you believe that will be true? Live in light of His faithfulness. Do not grow weary as we wait. His Word will come to pass. One day we shall see Him as He is. One day we will be a part of that which He has prepared for us. He will be faithful to that. There are times we may grow weary. We may wonder, is it ever going to happen? Is this ever going to take place? How much longer? We cry out with the martyrs, how long, O Lord? How long? But God will be faithful. Let me say this. God will also be faithful to His Word to punish the wicked. It will come to pass. He will destroy the wicked. It will come to pass. Wicked individuals who think they're getting away with their evil, who think they're prospering in the midst of their evil schemes, their evil desires, God will bring them down. Justice will be served. For some of you, that ought to be a wake-up call. You're treading on dangerous waters. If you were called to stand before God right now, it will not be good. He will keep His Word. You deny Him, He'll deny you. The, The wages of sin will be death, separation from God forever. He will keep His Word. God's faithfulness should shake some of you into realizing I better flee to Christ. Because He will bring condemnation upon unbelievers. It will take place. And so as they're getting ready to go into this land of promise, He reminds them That He is a God of mighty power. And you need to recognize that because you're going to face a great and mightier army than you. He's a God of grace. How thankful we ought to be for His grace. I don't deserve anything from God. And yet He's been so good to me. His grace. And then recognize His faithfulness. And then he says there in verse 6, Now then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. <laughs> and he's going to remind them in the rest of this chapter of who exactly they are, which only opens up all the more the grace of God. The grace of God. Well, may God use this in our lives to help us as we live in this world and as we look forward to that promised land that is before us and keep our eyes upon Jesus. Remember we started the service. Remember the verse we started with this morning? The man who lives at peace is a man who has a mind who is steadfast, fixed upon God. God. May God help us to be a people 
that continually fix our minds upon Him. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the Word of God and even this narrative that we've looked at this morning. And we are thankful that we have the true and living God who is a mighty God, powerful God. Greater is He who is in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. If God is for us, who can be against us? We're thankful that He is a God of great grace, amazing grace. Grace that showers His favor and blessing upon us more than we could ever deserve. We are unprofitable servants. We deserve Your wrath. But Father, we're thankful for Your grace and Your mercy that helps us along the way, that delivers us from sin, that helps us to persevere and to progress in this world in which we live. We thank You that You're a God who is steadfast in Your faithfulness. You will keep Your Word. All Your promises are yes and amen. And we thank You for that. And may we rest in that reality. But Father, how we pray that You would awaken some to their need of Christ in remembering Your faithfulness. May they flee to Christ who alone is able to save, their, save them from their sins. So take Your Word and do a work that only You can do to bring glory and honor to Your name as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. On closing, take your hymn books, the Trinity hymn books, and turn to hymn 402. Hymn 402, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saves a Wretch Like Me. 402 in the Trinity hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing.
uh, may we keep our eyes focused upon our great God. Reminder, John Gaskell will be here in the afternoon, 145, for that afternoon service. Minister the word of God to you. Thank you.